Hello, and thank you for listening to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. Let's join Pastor Wes Doffenbaugh as he speaks on the appetite of Jesus. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with each of you today. I love you. God bless you in Jesus' name. I have a unique message today that came uh, one morning to me in a wonderful revelation of the scriptures. It's called the appetite of Jesus Christ. Let's say a prayer. Father, we want you to expound your scripture to us, make us hearts our hearts burn uh, as you uh, teach us, Lord. We want to we want to take advantage of your your great promise and your great invitation. And uh, so make it clear, we pray, and then use us to bring you massive glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, for many years, I've been telling God, you know, asking God to comfort me. And then I explain, Lord, when you use me, and that's when I feel comforted most of all. So recently, a sister who runs a healing room ministry in Bismarck, North Dakota, called and ordered 24 more copies of the book of mine, 21 Ways to Forgive. And she said that one man told her that he'd tried unsuccessfully for over 20 years to forgive, and then he read that book and was finally able to forgive from his heart. Well, that is an example of something that gives me that comforting, satisfying feeling. Another woman came in and bought uh, every last book from the healing room, as she had purchased one previously and wanted everything left in the store, and so she bought seven and uh, was going to send it to all of her relatives and friends. Well, that type of thing uh, gives me a measure of comfort. Uh, Someone else wrote, thank you for your constant perseverance and the way you deliver the message that is easy to understand. That's another little comfort. And then the chaplain at the reception center for all the prisons in Tennessee asked for uh, 50 copies of, of 21 Ways to Forgive. And uh, I just called all the prisons in Oregon again and uh, have refreshed uh, all the requests coming in from the, you know, from those prisons. And all those chaplains are very anxious to get this book in uh, Spanish. Well, the reason I'm telling you that is these things are like little bites of a meal. You know, when you eat a meal, you can eat till you're satisfied, till you're full. And every bite's a pleasure. Well, uh, that's what this is like. It's a, it's a, called a hunger for righteousness. Now, uh, that satisfaction uh, from those things doesn't last real long. Uh, pretty soon I'm hungry for more of the will of God to be done in my life and more glory to be brought to the Father, and then I need another meal, so to speak. Now, that's my introduction, but my first point is that Jesus himself hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Now, he is righteousness, but he longs for righteousness to be done in the earth. And Jesus said in the Beatitudes, you know, Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, in the NIV translation, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Well, when you're filled, you're satisfied. Now, my birthday is going to be February 24th. Uh, and I was born in 1950, so I'm going to be 72. And all these many years since I've been 12, so for 60 years I've been reading the Bible, and uh, I've always thought that being hungry and thirsty for righteousness applied only to salvation. Uh, So I hungered and thirsted from the time I was 12 to 13, and then I got saved and received eternal life 
And so I've, when I would hear that scripture, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, I'd sort of check it off and say, been there, done that. You know, I was hungry once. Now, Jesus also said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And I thought, that's John 6, 35. And I thought Matthew 5, 6 and John 6, 35, we're talking about the same things. Because when you get saved and, you know, you've got eternal life, you don't hunger and thirst uh, for eternal life. But actually, the Lord showed me these are two different things. So when we get saved, we never hunger, we never thirst. But we live on earth and we can hunger and thirst for justice, uh, for righteousness, for people to get healed, for lives to be changed, for things to, uh, for the will of God, for instance, to be manifested on earth as it is in heaven. That's the hunger for righteousness. Now, when we have this hunger for righteousness, God is going to answer our prayers. He's going to satisfy us. Now, Jesus said, I have food to eat that you do not know anything about, John 4, 32. And then he explained, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Well, that meant Jesus, you know, is hungry for that. He hungers for that kind of food. And then when he gets the will of God done, when he accomplishes the will of God, uh, then it's like a satisfying meal to him. It's his food. It's That's his hunger and thirst for righteousness. So surprise, surprise, Jesus himself hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And he's got a great big appetite. I mean, <laughs> he's hungry for the will of God to be done on earth. Now, I was reading Isaiah 53, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. This is talking about after the suffering of the Christ on the cross, he'd see the light of life. He'd be resurrected. But then it says, and be satisfied. Now, the uh, Passion Translation says, after the great anguish of his soul, he will see the light of the light and be fully satisfied. But when you drop down to the footnote, it, sa it says that the footnote says he will eat and drink his fill. And so all, almost all translations are translating it. He'll see the light of life and be satisfied. But actually, the, the Hebrew says he will eat and drink his fill. Now, that means that his own hunger and thirst for the will of God to be done in his life and in the earth is going to be fully satisfied. Now, my second point is that Jesus wants you to have a big appetite, but, you know, the devil will try to counsel you if you let him, and he'll say something like, if you don't desire anything or hope for anything, then you'll never be hungry or you'll never be disappointed. And he tells us if we don't ask for anything, see, if we have no hope, if you don't hope for anything, you don't ask for anything, then you can't be disappointed. But what that really guarantees is then you'll never be satisfied. You'll never be filled. All right, so uh, we'll never be satisfied if we don't hunger to be used of God and to finish the work God created in advance for each one of us to do. That's where spiritual satisfaction comes from. That gives us that full feeling. But when we have real low expectations and little motivation to bring glory to God, then if we're not hungry and thirsty for righteousness, uh, we're not going to be satisfied. Now, non-Christians and carnal, worldly-type Christians hunger and thirst for the things of this world. Uh, 
And even when they're filled with them, they aren't satisfied. So one verse in the Bible, Proverbs chapter 1, 30 through 32 says, Since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they'll eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Now, when it says they'll be filled with the fruit of their schemes, the word filled is actually full to vomiting or to be sated, to be satiated. It means uh, to be filled to sickness instead of to be filled to satisfaction. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, wants us to hunger and thirst for righteousness with him. And if we'll hunger and thirst for righteousness with him, we'll be fully satisfied with him. Now, this scripture uh, ties right into that Revelations 3.20. Behold, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, I've always emphasized he's knocking at the door of your heart. If you'll open your heart, he'll come in and live inside of you. And I would say, because the people that eat inside your home are the ones who live there. Well, that's true, but I didn't fully understand that last part. I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That means Jesus is going to be satisfied along with you when you do the will of God that he created you for. He's eating with you, but when you pray for great, big, massive things to be done in the earth, like thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then when those great, big revivals come and uh, all kinds of uh, great things happen around the world, you're eating with him, all right? You're both hungry for righteousness. I hunger to fully uh, do Uh, become everything he created me to be and to do everything he created in advance for me to do. And so he's going to eat with me. But then when I wish that I could uh, tell everybody on earth the gospel, I wish I could, uh, you know, be the pastor in every city. And when I'm wishing something like that, I'm actually feeling the hunger of Jesus it's much, much bigger than me. And I, of course, I can't uh, be the pastor in every city. I can't, uh, can't tell everybody on earth the gospel. But when I'm f- feeling that desire, it's actually the hunger of Jesus Christ. Well, uh, now we could pray, use me, Spirit of God, to my level of comfort and satisfaction. And then if God used you to your level of comfort and satisfaction, it might not be very much. You might be satisfied with getting one person healed or one person led to the Lord or something like that. But uh, we don't want to be satisfied with too little. So what we should pray is, use me, Spirit of God, to your level of satisfaction. I want you to be filled with comfort and satisfaction, and I don't want to stop short of doing your will until you're fully satisfied. Because, dear Lord, it's your satisfaction that I'm living for, not my own. Now, a small spiritual appetite is not humility. So if someone says, well, I'm a humble person, therefore I don't desire to win many souls or heal many diseases or give thousands of dollars to missions, uh, I don't need to be anyone of any great significance because I'm just comfortable being humble. Well, that's not humility. That's spiritual apathy cross-dressing as humility. Now, our culture knows a lot about cross-dressing. 
and uh, I'm no big fan of that. But, you know, what I really don't like is when something like pride dresses up like faith or where apathy dresses up like humility. Now, if at the judgment seat of Christ you're proved to be someone of great spiritual significance, it will be a result of your hungering and thirsting for acts of righteousness to be done through your life. And then you'll be filled. You'll be satisfied. And listen, this involves your choice, not just the call of God. Now, there, I don't know if, if you've ever read about Moses, uh, you know, seeing the burning bush, God speaks to him, and then you wish, oh, at least I always have, oh, I wish that would be me. Well, there, everybody can't be Moses. There's only one Moses. And like Jeremiah, you know, the Lord stretched out his hand and touched the mouth of Jeremiah and said, I've appointed you a prophet to the nations. I've called you from birth for this. Why well, it sounded great to me, but I can't be Jeremiah. And so God chooses people for some of these great significant roles, and you, have, you can't do anything about that. But one thing you can do is that God invites us all to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he said, you'll be blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall be satisfied. And you can choose to be among the most blessed of all. So if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, God will fill you and satisfy you. Now, then I realized that Matthew 5, 6, that beatitude, is, is really a great promise and a great invitation. And it's just as if Jesus is saying, go get them. Go get them. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. <laughs> we used to, I used to say to my dog on the ranch, sick them, boy, sick them. Well, Jesus is saying, you can do this. Now, an example is when Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's Luke 10.2. Now, the harvest in American prisons is great. We have, a, you know, there's two million people in the prison. They're connected to at least five million others. So the, the prison system, when you include all their families, represents at least seven million people. And we have a great open door to send tens of thousands of the hundreds of thousands, actually, of our book, 21 Ways to Forgive, because in just a few weeks, it will be out in Spanish. We have all the money for that. Uh, it's all typeset. It's at the printer's. And I can hardly wait to send out boxes of both English and Spanish. But you see, the sponsors who supply these books are few. Now, I'm really grateful for the sponsors we have, but the Lord wants me to pray earnestly for many more. And I should hunger for everyone in prison to receive good books and tracts for their salvation and, and uh, discipleship. I should hunger for many people to get the great heavenly rewards that sponsors will receive. Now, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, but I could just say, well, just we just have a few partners that'll, we're just doing something at least. Praise God, we've got 9,000 books into the prison. That's pretty good. Uh, but the Lord is more hungry. He's hungry for the whole prison system to be evangelized and discipled, see? He's got a great big appetite. And that's why 
he says, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into his field. And so when you pray that, you're entering into his hunger and his thirst. And then when it's answered, just like in Revelation 3.20, he said, I'll come into them and they'll eat. I'll eat with them and they with me. You're going to be eating that special food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. They shall be satisfied. Now, it'd be a good idea to hunger for chaplains uh, uh, to be supplied with powerful tools and uh, of tracks. And uh, we have three soul-winning tracks for $42. A, a sponsor could send 100 of each. That wouldn't give us any money for operating expense. We, I would just volunteer my time. I'll package and send them. I'll have it all lined up, all the prisons, all the chaplains that want these things. But we could literally win tens of thousands of people. Now, I'm inviting you to hunger with me for that type of thing. I believe we're hungering and thirsting with Jesus Christ himself because he has a great hunger for world evangelism. And it includes communist nations, Hindu nations, Muslim nations, Buddhist nations, and Africa and South America, but also Europe and America and Canada. The Western nations have basically given themselves over to sexual perversions. And, uh, you know, he's very hungry to bring righteousness to all these people. Now, Jesus said to his hometown, which was Capernaum, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades, which means hell. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, they would have remained until this day, Matthew eleven twenty three. Well, our culture is, is pretty much a modern-day Sodom. Our culture has redefined marriage, redefined family, and now has started redefining redefining gender as a personal choice instead of the choice of a creator God. And our culture is just very much like Sodom. Now, when I see that Sodom would have repented if it, if it had seen the miracles Jesus did in his hometown, then I believe that Jesus wants those miracles to happen in a Sodom type of place. And, and so I'm hungering and thirsting with Jesus. I'm praying that great signs, wonders, and miracles will be done in, in all these cultures that are the image of Sodom so that they can come to Christ and escape the fate of that original Sodom. The spiritual hunger of, of Jesus longs for righteousness to be exalted among the most confused, mixed up, spiritually oppressed people on earth. And if we hunger for this righteousness to be manifested, will, will we be just sadly disappointed? No, Jesus promised us you'll be satisfied. Hallelujah. <laughs> what a great promise. Now, the one that stands behind the promise is uh, the one who spoke the worlds into existence and all things were created by him and for him and through him. And he holds everything together by the power of his word. And Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. They shall be satisfied. Well, I'm convinced that Jesus is hungry for righteousness to be manifested in the midst of the most goofy, mixed up, whacked out people on earth. And uh, 
through mighty signs and wonders. And I'm going to hunger and thirst for that with him and expect to have some very satisfying, filling, and comforting results. Now, my third point is we should be hungry to fulfill our destiny in God. And Paul wrote this very important verse, Ephesians 2.10. You should memorize it. He said, for we are his workmanship or his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, Richard Sigmund wrote a book called My Time in Heaven, and and he uh, actually died in a fatal car wreck, and his spirit spent eight hours in heaven. And he was dead for eight hours on earth. It probably seemed like way longer than that in the, in the timeless eternity of heaven. But eventually then he was sent back and he, uh, you know, his spirit came back into his body just before they were ready to embalm him. And he sat up and said, I ain't dead yet. <laughs> People totally freaked out. Well, uh, he had that, uh, that tremendous book, My Time in Heaven. You should all get it. I, I've read mine so many times, the pages are all fallen out of it. I usually buy it and send it to some Christian that's lost a dear loved one so they can see how happy their loved one is in heaven. Now, while he was in heaven, he was shown the house of one man named Paul Hegstrom, uh, where that man was going to live. The man was still alive on earth. But this house had a library, and the books on the shelves were the ones this man would write on earth but they had already been written by the Lord. And Jesus said, these books were written by my spirit at the beginning of time. They were given to Paul Hegstrom to write on earth when he was there. You will meet him later. And when you do, tell him there's much to do and not to slacken the pace. That's page 60 from My Time in Heaven. Well, Richard memorized some of those book titles, and later he met that man Paul Hegstrom, and the, the man said, Paul said, I am writing those books right now. <laughs> and, and so the books were actually written by the Spirit of God before time, but they were given to Paul to write on earth. Now, that's an example of, of the same thing applies to us. God really has prepared good works in advance for each of us to do. And if we walk in the Spirit, we will feel the hunger and thirst to accomplish those things. And when we do accomplish one of them, it's like eating a very satisfying meal. It's comforting. It's fullness. It's eating a meal with Jesus. thing about it is after a while that wears off and yesterday's accomplishments uh, no longer satisfy. Now, I could say, you know, I don't need to eat any food anymore. I had a really good meal last week. Well, you would understand that that's not going to uh, continue to satisfy you. The memory would be nice, but it's not going to satisfy the hunger pains. So we want to do more and do the next thing on God's agenda so that we complete the work God has given each of us to do. Now, in the game of baseball, you know, when the team is up to bat and they end up getting three men on base, but then they they get the three outs and those men are left on the base and no runs are scored. That's a sad thing. And similarly, we should not leave our goals and projects unfinished like runners left on base that counts for nothing. And another example, it's as if God gives us a deed to our own gold mine, a spiritual gold mine, and tells each of us to mine the claim. 
and we each have our title deed. We own the mind, so to speak, but we can leave most of that spiritual gold in the mind if we don't get with it, if we don't take it seriously. We have to mine the claim through faith-filled action. And why should we only get a few sacks of spiritual gold out of our gold mine? Why not mine it fully? Well, in my life, for instance, I believe God has uh, created good works in advance for me to do that include writing books and tracks. And I feel like there's more in there. I'm in the process of writing one on divine healing and divine health. One book, Divine Healing, Divine Health. Well, uh, I hunger and thirst for the will of God, righteousness to be done in my life. And, and, uh, and so when we hunger for the food of Jesus, we're hungering for the will of God to be accomplished in our life. And, and if we'll hunger fully, uh, then we're going to be fully filled, fully blessed. And we'll be among the most blessed ones who share a greater amount of Jesus-style satisfaction and fullness. Now, here's the deal. Each of you could join that number. You know, you can't be Moses, you can't be Jeremiah, but you could hunger and thirst for righteousness and end up joining the, the company of those who are going to be most satisfied and most filled because that's your choice. Now, my fourth point is God will work to satisfy your hunger for righteousness. You see, Jesus promised if you'll hunger for it, you'll be filled. Now, this is a great promise. It's a huge open-ended promise. It's like giving you a blank check that you can fill out. So here's what this says to me. I could hunger or not to make many tracks that would lead people to fear the Lord, to lead them into the knowledge of God, to salvation, to healing, and more. Now, these all cost money. They take lots of work and energy. We don't sell them for a profit, only for printing cost. However, we could get tens of thousands of these into prisons, and I just believe it would uh, give us a great harvest of souls. So why should I slow down? Why not work and pray and allow this spiritual hunger See, if you don't hunger for it, you won't be filled. Why not go ahead and hunger for it? It's an open-ended promise. Now, I could stop writing books, but I have this sense that I'm supposed to write more, so I'll, uh, I'll keep right on going. I could stop raising money for compassion opportunities like helping widows, orphans, native pastors, or I could say with a smile, you know, I'm going to be hungry for all these things because if I'll just hunger for them, God will satisfy the hunger and fill me. <laughs> Wow. You see, it's a tremendous, tremendous promise. And it's not just a one-time deal. It's the constant lifestyle of hungering and thirsting with Jesus and being satisfied and uh, just so enjoying the comfort. And then after a little while, you get hungry again and you go through the process again. Well, we want to be hungry like baby birds. The, the Bible says in Psalms 81.10, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Have you ever seen baby birds in a nest and the mother comes with a worm and all of the little birds stretch out their necks. They open their mouths as wide as they can. And that's what God is saying. He's saying, look, if you'll be hungry, I'll, I'll fill it. I'll satisfy your spiritual hunger. What a great promise. 
Now, God spoke through Isaiah, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and and you will delight in the richest affair. Well, God would like to give you health food and and so don't uh, don't settle for white rice and you know white sugar and all that kind of stuff but uh but it's talking about more than natural nutrition we spend money on trying to get satisfied with things at stuff mart you know there was a veggie tale <laughs> about uh, madam blueberry and and she was trying to fill all of her desires at stuff mart uh well that's where that that really doesn't satisfy but what really does is uh, the will of God being done in our life. That's the richest affair, and uh, we should desire it. So the things of this world don't satisfy like the will of God does. And all selfish pursuits and the focus on things that are independent of God's will will never satisfy. But whatever is righteous, whatever is God's will, when those things are done, achieved, or received, we share in the resurrection satisfaction of Jesus Christ. Remember Isaiah's prophecy, 5311 in Isaiah, after the great anguish of his soul, he will see the light of life and be fully satisfied, or in the footnote, or he, he will eat and drink his fill. Well, there's no satisfaction like resurrection satisfaction. I want you to say that out loud and memorize it. There is no satisfaction like resurrection satisfaction. My fifth point is hunger and thirst for God to use you in healing miracles. Now, when God uses me to get someone healed, it's a satisfying meal. And Jesus and I feast together. We feel comfort and delight that God's will was done. The memory of those miracles are precious to me, like remembering a real outstanding meal. But, uh, but then we want to have another one. Now, when Joshua led... Uh, the Israelites into Canaan. They had to fight and defeat wicked enemy kings. And Joshua uh, defeated 31 different kings. Now, similarly, I'd like to defeat all kinds of diseases, cancers of every kind, uh, all kinds of heart problems, Parkinson's disease, ALS, AIDS, bone problems of every kind, scleroderma, and the, and the list goes on and on. And after one battle, Joshua's battle, their five enemy kings were captured and brought before Joshua to be executed. But before they were killed, he had his army commanders come and put their feet on the necks of those kings. Now, Joshua's name and Jesus' name are basically the same name. Both mean Savior. And uh, Jesus has conquered all the enemies of God, and he wants us to put our feet on the necks of the devil's kings. And in this case, I'm talking about the worst afflictions and diseases. Jesus wants us to share in his victory. Now, should we hunger for that? Most will say, well, man, no, don't hunger for that. You'll make yourself miserable desiring all those things you cannot have. But would it be righteousness for the power of God in Jesus' name to conquer the works of the devil? Would it be righteousness for people, uh, God's people to get physically healed and know how much God loves them? Would it be righteousness for even sinners to get healed so that they'll know, so that they'll come to Christ and be born again? And the answer, of course, is yes. Well, then why not hunger and thirst for this? Now, we have the promise. See, 
Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall be satisfied. Proverbs 10.24, what the righteous desire will be granted. Why would that be? Well, because they desire righteous things. They're, they're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And, uh, and God's going to grant that and fulfill it. Now, my sixth point, as small as we are, we can share in the very hunger of Jesus Christ. Each of us should hunger and thirst to achieve and become everything God prepared in advance for us to accomplish and, and to become. That's our individual hunger and thirst. But like I said before, Jesus has a much bigger appetite for righteousness. An example would be Isaiah 42.4 about the Christ. It says, he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. Now, Jesus is hungry for true justice to come to Canada and North Korea and the United States and Austria and Australia. And uh, if you've been listening to the news, you'll know that uh, COVID restrictions in those nations have taken away so many of the personal freedoms. But, uh, uh, and, and so much injustices in the world, like, you know, I could go on and on. But uh, the point is, Jesus isn't going to falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth, till heaven's will is done on earth. Now, he's hungry for that, but he's going to be filled. And the Bible says clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Psalms 97 verse 2. When we earnestly pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're sharing the hunger and thirst that Jesus Christ feels. Now, when city councils are voting to defund the police and when governors are letting murderers out of prison and commuting their sentences for no good reason, and when there's a two-tiered justice system, one for the rich and one for the poor, that means there's a great lack of righteousness in our cities and states. When large tech companies censor free speech and only leftists uh, decide what is accurate information and, and everything else that, that disagrees with their narrative, they call disinformation. That's a lack of righteousness in our culture. Now, as Christians, we can just moan, we can groan, we can frown, we can hunker down, we can just hope that we can hang on through the mess until we get to heaven. Or... We could enter into Christ's hunger and thirst, and we could pray earnestly that the tide will turn, that common sense will return, that God's definition of marriage, God's definition of sin will be reestablished. We could pray earnestly that God would raise up leaders who fear God, and as a result of that fear of God, have great understanding of justice. Now, do you think God's going to waste those prayers? No, of course not. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is going to be fully manifested on earth. Like the prophet Habakkuk said in chapter 2, verse 14, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So those prayers will be answered. Now, until those answers become visible, God is keeping and treasuring those tr prayers in golden bowls right up at the very throne of God. Now, you'll have to read Revelations 5.8 if you want to see how God, uh, your prayers have a form and, and God keeps them in golden bowls right before his throne and they are going to be answered. Well, 
one day those who have allowed themselves to feel the hunger and thirst of Christ are going to eat and drink with Christ and be fully satisfied with Christ's own satisfaction. So listen to this now. God is looking for small people who allow him to share with them his great big appetite for justice and righteousness. I'm going to say it again. God's looking for small people, little average people, who will just allow God to share with them his big hunger for justice and righteousness. Now, God spoke through Isaiah. I have set watchmen upon your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make, me, uh, you who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Keep on asking until it happens. Isaiah 62, verse 6 through 7. Now, if Jerusalem becomes a praise in the earth, then why not Portland, Oregon, or Minneapolis, or Chicago, or Los Angeles? You see, Jerusalem was the city that always killed the prophets, and they even killed the Son of God. So if Jerusalem can become a praise in the earth, surely Portland, Oregon could. Minneapolis, Minnesota could. Chicago, Illinois could. Los Angeles, California could. But who hungers with Christ for a restoration of all things? Now, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Acts chapter 3, verse 19 through 21. Well, there is going to be a restoration of all things, all things good, and all things bad and evil will be swept away. Now, we should pray uh, for, the, for that uh, full manifestation. It seems strange, doesn't it, for little people to pray for such big things? But God is actually looking for people with whom he can share his own desire. That is what he hungers and thirsts for. And you could lift up your hand and say, well, I'll be one of those little people. I'm just little, dear Lord, but if you want to share with me what you're feeling, I would like that. Now, remember, if it's a righteous desire, if it's a desire for God's righteousness to be manifest, those who hunger and thirst for it are going to be filled to satisfaction. And Jesus Christ himself made the promise and stands behind the promise. Therefore, we should not be intimidated by the size of the problem or the number of the enemies or the weapon of those enemies. You know, in Joshua's day, the, the enemies were seven nations, all of them bigger than Israel. They all had better equipped armies and their cities were walled uh, very, very high. And the Canaanites had iron chariots. That was a weapon the Israelites didn't have, and they could run over people and crush them with those heavy iron chariots. Well, God was bigger than all of that. Bigger than all of that. Now, Paul wrote, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Philippians chapter 3. You know, have you ever wondered what it meant to uh, uh, 
know the power of his resurrection and at the same time participate in his sufferings? Now, someday I may suffer persecution even to the point of shedding my blood. I, uh, I want to live a long time. Maybe I'll live long enough for that to happen. But I can participate in the sufferings of Christ today when I hunger with him and when I thirst for him, for revival, for healings, for a great worldwide harvest, and for justice to prevail. Now, I'm not an expert on fasting, but my spiritual hunch is that fasting probably ties in with this hunger for righteousness in a big way. We show spiritual hunger uh, when we pray for something passionately and repeatedly. But we show even more spiritual hunger for something when we fast and pray. Our natural hunger teems with our spiritual hunger, and I believe it has a multiplying effect. Now, Paul wrote, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. Well, I've never equated suffering with Christ to be the same as hungering and thirsting with Christ, but I believe we should equate these two things because there is a measure of emotional pain and suffering when we hunger with Christ, we care, we feel, we feel the, you know, the Bible says in Noah's day, the world was so wicked, his heart was filled with pain. And he repented that he even made mankind. So, uh, you know, there is this, uh, we, we become totally unselfish when we're focused on seeing God's will done for all people. We're constantly thinking of how to help others. We pray across great distances for God to help his dear people and for God to reveal himself to whole nations that lay in spiritual darkness. And uh, so in a measure then you're sharing uh, the, the heart of Christ when it hurts. And it's a measure of suffering with Christ that many uh, don't want to go any place near that. But if we do go near that, we're going to end up being <laughs> filled and satisfied with Christ. And, and uh, it says we'll be glorified together with him. Now, when, there, when I was a bus captain back in the 1970s, there were some days I didn't feel like visiting my bus route. I'd have to go on Saturday and to get over 100 children on, on, on the bus on Sunday, that meant I had to visit five or six hours uh, for every hour of visitation, about 10 kids would come on the bus. So if I wanted 60 on the bus, I would have to visit six hours. And then I'd also sign up new kids. And so some of those Saturdays, uh, oh man, they were hot, some of the August days. But some of the days in like November would just be pouring, sopping rain. Some days there was a big sports uh, thing on television that I really wanted to see. So there'd be some days where I said, Lord, I just don't feel like doing the bus route. And then I'd say, what do you feel like? And he always felt like doing the bus route. So then I'd pray, well, Lord, let me feel what you feel. Now, we don't outgrow our, our need to pray that prayer. See, I, I might say, well, now that I'm, you know, that was back in my 20s. Now I'm in my 70s. I, I don't need to pray that anymore. Yes, I do. I want to feel what he feels. I want to share with him his hunger and thirst. If I do, I'll share his great satisfaction and fullness.
Now, it's been very satisfying to meet some of those children. You know, I went out, I'd go out and do the bus route every time because he'd let me feel what he felt for people. And how satisfying it is to meet some of those people that are now adults whose families are serving God. Now, here's a, pray that, here's a prayer that little old you could pray, or little old you, huh? All right, this prayer would shake up your life. It could shake up the world. So here's the prayer. Dear Lord, I'm willing to share your spiritual hunger and thirst. Let me feel what you feel. I'm willing to long for what you long for and pray for what you desire, regardless of the size or the timing involved for it to be fulfilled. I want to eat and drink with you. I want to share your satisfaction. I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness and then experience the great blessings and satisfaction you promised to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, I would urge you to pray that. It'll shake up your world. It'll shake up the world. Now, my seventh point. So ask, seek, and knock within the scope of desires for righteousness. As long as we're praying for something righteous, something God would like, God will answer our prayers if we'll just ask. You see, God's goodwill is very big and includes everything that would bring glory to the name of Jesus. If it would glorify the name of Jesus, ask for it. You see, our hearts and minds haven't comprehended the vast scope of righteous things that would be granted to us if we would just ask. God wants to grant those prayers, so he urges us to ask for them and promises to grant them. And so Jesus said, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, Jesus said, uh, very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have uh, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And then he said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So, in other words, you're asking within the scope of God's righteous will, which is very vast. And all the things that would glorify God, all the things that would be righteous, ask for them. It's very, very open. open. And he's urging us, ask, ask, ask. I'll do it. <laughs> now, here's my conclusion. When... When I read about the Lord appearing to Jeremiah and stretching out his hand, touching his mouth and saying, I've put my words in your mouth, boy, I'd say, oh, I like that. I'd like that. I read how the Lord appeared to Isaiah and said, who shall we send? I always wish he'd appear to me. I'd like to see God in the burning bush like uh, God appeared to Moses and then so often spoke to Moses face to face. 
I don't have any control over God's choice for somebody with that real important type of role. That's all on God's side of the equation. And God calls and chooses whom he will. He gives spiritual gifts to each one according to his will, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. But the other side of the equation is our choice. And uh, you see, I'd like to be called like Moses or Elijah or Peter or Paul. So I could be among the very closest to the Lord. I don't want those roles to for the praise of men, but I'd like to be really close to the Lord. I don't want to follow him from afar. But I can only do and be what God gives me. And God chooses the spiritual gifts he wants us to have. But on the other side of the equation, he leaves some things up to our choices, up to our desires, and we can maximize our own choices so that even if we have a lesser calling, our spiritual hunger expressed in our prayer life and actions will move us into the company of the most blessed group of people. We would join the company of the called, chosen, and faithful. Therefore, Matthew 5, 6 is one of the greatest promises in the Bible. And at the same time, is that it is an invitation to come into close fellowship with the greatest of Bible heroes and heroines. Well, we know this because if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we'll be filled as we eat and drink with the Lord Jesus Christ himself, feasting on his special food. Now, of course, Jesus is the greatest of all Bible heroes, so if we eat and drink with him, we're going to be we're going to be right in the company of the greatest Bible heroes. So what role do you want to play in the kingdom? Now, Paul said, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, that's, that's on your side of the equation. That's not on God's side. You can make the choice to hunger and thirst with Christ and and, and run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, Satan will tell you over and over, listen here, you are insignificant. You are a nobody. You do not have a great call. You can only sit on the bench and watch. You aren't one of the starters. Your role is always going to be tiny. Tell him, shut up, you're not my coach. He's a terrible liar, terrible spiritual coach. Lies are his native language. Now, when it comes to loving and honoring the Lord, I don't want to be an also-ran. Here's what I want to do. I, you say, well, you want to cross way ahead of us, Brother West? No. I heard a story about the Down syndrome kids in a Special Olympics. They were having a foot race, and one of them tripped and fell and started to cry. All the ones in the race turned around, ran back, and picked him up. And then they held arms in a big straight line, and they went across joyfully across that finish line together. <laughs> well... That's what I want to do. I want to cross that finish line simultaneously tied for first place with you and with all the truly sold out servants for Christ. And you, yes, you can join that number. Even if you're what the world would call a nobody, your choice to share the hunger and thirst of Jesus for righteousness will move you into the company of those who are the most blessed. Will you accept that invitation? Will you believe and act upon the promise? I pray that you will. I love you. God bless you. 
If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com. Or you can write P.O. Box 485, Cresswell, Oregon 97426.